I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer vital health questions that will help you thrive, like, what does my mental health have to do with my gut? How can I prevent melanoma? How much sleep do I really need? And how can I manage my health without a family doctor? I chat with the top experts to bring you the latest evidence in plain language, all in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Tamara Kandakar. On Wednesday, in cities across Canada, protesters and counter-protesters rallied in response to a call from a group called One Million March for Children. According to the organizers' website, the day was supposed to be about advocating for the elimination of a number of things in schools. The sexual orientation and gender identity curriculum, pronouns, quote-unquote gender ideology, and mixed bathrooms. My role is leading the people in a march to protect our children's innocence, to give family rights back, and to protect parental rights in school. They don't have the maturity to decide to drink or to have guns or to vote. How the hell they have the right to change their sex without even the knowledge of their parents? But critics, like the president of the BC Teachers Federation, say the group and its concern for parental rights is being driven by misinformation and disinformation. Um, there is no, you know, influence on students to do anything. Uh, other than to learn and to be themselves and to be comfortable with themselves and to be comfortable with everyone in their school around them uh, and to understand that there are differences in each of those people around them and how to live together and support each other to be happy and healthy. The turnout looked different from city to city. In some places, counter-protesters outnumbered protesters. And there were some pretty heated exchanges between the two groups, with arrests reported in Ottawa, Halifax, Vancouver, and Victoria. Today, we're taking a closer look at the protests, who was behind them, and how the controversy over inclusive education policies and curricula is affecting LGBTQ students. My first guest is Mel Woods, a senior editor with Extra Magazine. They attended two separate protests in Vancouver on Wednesday. Hi, Mel. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, thanks for so much for having me. So can you start by describing the scene on Wednesday in Vancouver where you were? How many people showed up for what the organizers called the One Million March for Children? Uh, definitely not one million people. I'll tell you <laughs> that. Uh, it was a fairly small contingent of the quote-unquote, main protest there. I'd say maybe a couple dozen people tops uh, at the Vancouver Art Gallery and a bit of a few more people at a, at a subsequent event down at Jackpool Plaza. But uh, they were outnumbered by counter-protests by, like, metrics of, like, hundreds to one, I wow. would say. Like, there was several thousand pro-trans counter-protesters who came out to the Vancouver Art Gallery. So mm -hmm. definitely outnumbered in Vancouver by far. Okay. And yeah, that sounds similar to what I heard about other cities, but we'll talk about that in a second. What did you see in Vancouver? What were people saying and what kinds of chants did you hear? What kinds of signs did you see? Talk a bit about that. 
this you know, 1 million March folks are really focused in on this idea of parental rights, this idea of, you know, a lot of messaging of hands off our kids or leave our kids alone. At one point, they even broke into that that song, you know, hey, teacher, leave our kids alone. Yeah. Um, you know, anti-grooming discourse. We see some, you know, LGB without the T, which is a reference to kind of a movement that's moves to disclude trans people from bigger queer and trans issues. But then there was also kind of anti-gay messaging too. You know, there it's a lot of disparate groups. It's kind of like the, the the convoy in a lot of ways where they all kind of have these like disparate causes coming together under this banner, but it's not really organized and they're not necessarily unified in what they're saying or or who they're associating with. So it was quite quite scattered, I would say, the, the messaging that they were putting forward. Whereas on the other side, the counter protesters, it was a lot of no space for hate, mm -hmm. you know, trans kids have rights, that sort of messaging over and over. The organizers had said this wasn't about targeting LGBTQ plus people, but some of the things that you're mentioning, and I've seen re other reporting on this about signs calling people in the community uh, groomers and, and pedophiles. Can you talk a bit about that? Did you see, you know, stuff that was about more than just what's being taught in schools? Oh, 100 percent. It's a historic thing. It goes all the way back to, you know, the 80s and 90s talking about, about gay people, about this idea of like hypersexualizing queer and trans people and this idea that Queer and trans issues are not appropriate for kids to learn about, to talk about whether that's being taught explicitly in schools or just being exposed to. And there's this largely based in misinformation and disinformation idea that like queer and trans people are somehow indoctrinating children and trying to like, you know, recruit us to the cause simply through being able to give kids information that queer trans people exist and are people with rights. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these groups are really opposed to that. My kids don't go to school to learn this. They go to school to learn mathematics, languages. They don't go to school to learn about Soji. Well, when they get to talk to you, do you want to be a boy or a girl or do you decide this and that? They shouldn't be deciding nothing at young ages. They should be having fun, learning ABCs, learning the proper English and maths and stuff like that. Sex education is up to the parents. And so I definitely saw a lot of messaging around that. I definitely heard a lot of this messaging. But it's also, I think, really important with this to say that these things are are based in a lot of disinformation, you mm -hmm. know, lies, suggesting that kids are undergoing genital surgery at the age of four or that we're trying to pump 10-year-olds full of hormones mm -hmm. or things like that. These are like categorically untrue. And so much of this kind of these these chants, these banners, these ideologies come from that misinformation. Right. What can you tell me about how these protests played out in, in other cities across the country? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I think that Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, like those places, we saw a huge contingent of counter protesters meet the, these much smaller contingents of protesters, you know, varying degrees of, of the proportion there. But overall, the vibes are were nice. Like, I will <laughs> say it was like, I had a bit of fear going in, you know, as somebody who's quite visibly trans, you worry about your own personal safety going into these situations, you worry about how big one side will be versus the other. And it was very nice to show up to the plaza and have 5,000 people carrying trans flags and only a few people saying that 
I shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's not the case everywhere, though. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind with all this, that in places like Mississauga, in Surrey, out here in BC, you know, the contingent of protesters to counter-protesters was flipped in the skew. Uh, there's a lot more of the anti-trans protesters than there were the supportive counter-protesters. And that led to some really escalating tensions. Yeah. And so I think it's really important when we're like, painting the narrative of what happened on Wednesday, that we keep in mind that it looked very different across the country. And that has to do with demographics. It has to do with where these kind of ideas and this misinformation I was talking about are getting footholds into communities and into school boards and into parents groups and things like that. So it's different from place to place. This is a pretty big thing to pull off, though, like organizing protests in so many different places across the country. What do we know about the organizers behind this event? It's really a disparate group of people. You know, there's not one central group that's like, yes, we are the ones. It's kind of like the convoy in Mm -hmm. that sense. You Mm -hmm. know, I think it's a really good comparison. I think that this group probably took a lot of cues from the convoy and how it played out and are, are, are mobilizing under very similar tactics because we see this kind of disparate group of anti-trans organizations, anti-queer organizations, parental rights groups, right-wing organizations. You know, there are groups with ties back to the convoy, back to the anti-vax movement, all kind of promoting these these marches and these events and I'm participating in kind of the, the promotion and the dissemination of them. We have groups like that are based in the UK and the US that have a track record of fighting against, you know, pro-trans legislation in those places who are now trying to find a foothold in Canada. Mm-hmm. We have groups that have been advocating for school boards to get more conservative candidates into school boards to help pass, you know, policies that restrict some trans rights and that sort of thing. But they really vary across the spectrum. And you can see even just from like the posters promoting these events, it was kind of disorganized. Interesting. And then what kind of reaction did we see from political leaders? I know some of them were were at these protests and and put out statements about them, right? Talk talk a bit about that. So in in Ottawa, you saw NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joined counter protesters, marched on the front with carrying a banner. Uh, other politicians who came out kind of strongly in support of the counter protest included out here in BC, you know, Premier David Eby wasn't at the Vancouver event, but of several MLAs were, including uh, Chilliwack Kent MLA Ka- Kelly Padden, who spoke at the counter protest and really kind of firmly affirmed the government's support of trans kids, trans rights, and opposition to this protest. All of our kids, mine and yours, deserve to know in a crystal clear way where their government stands. We have been very clear, and Premier David Eby has been crystal clear in speaking with students and teachers. We stand for everyone. A lot of other politicians kind of put out statements saying, you know, we love LGBTQ2S plus folks. Trudeau did that. Um, other, Other political leaders did that. But then on the other side of things, you have New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs, who, you know, there's a picture going around of him shaking hands with the protester. So so you mentioned Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, but did we hear anything from Pierre Polyev on this? 
No, the conservative leader was quiet, much as he has been about the anti-trans policy resolutions that were passed by the Conservative Party at their recent convention. Um, The Canadian press did report that there was a memo sent out to conservative MPs, basically telling them to do the same thing, to not talk about it to the media, to not post online about either the protests or the counter-protests. And I think things like those protests, things like the continued pushing forward by provincial premiers like Mo and like Higgs shows that this is going to be an issue in the next federal election. This is going to be a hot button issue. And Polyev is going to have to say something at some point to appease the right wing base that is, you know, pounding the drum on these issues right now. And also the queer trans folks and allies on the other side who are rightfully very concerned about the potential of Canada's next government endorsing these sorts of ideas. Mm -hmm. But as for right now, he is choosing the silent route. Okay, Mel, thank you so much for your reporting on this and for taking the time to do this. I I appreciate it. It was really good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I, I really appreciate it. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, the host of In Case You Missed It, Slate's podcast about internet culture. It's a show for people who have a healthy relationship with social media, made by people who really, really don't. Twice a week, our show explores what's trending at the top of your feeds, investigates the ghost of internet past, and generally helps you sound like the smartest person in your group chat. What is internet anyway? You can find us by searching ICYMI wherever you get your podcast. That is ICYMI, the podcast that is extremely online, so you don't have to be. Alex Harris is a 17-year-old student in Riverview, New Brunswick. He came out as trans about five years ago, before it was provincially mandated that parents give their consent for students to be able to use their chosen name or pronoun. Alex was watching as the protests unfolded across the country on Wednesday, and we wanted to get his take on the debate at the heart of them and hear about how it's impacting his life and that of his peers. Hi, Alex. Thanks for being with us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so seeing these marches take place across the country on Wednesday, what did that feel like for you? It was really scary because it really, it shows that that many people are misinformed about what's happening in school and what it is to be trans and what it is to be a trans youth. And it's scary because these people are very loud. Sometimes sometimes they can be violent. And it's scary to see that in my own country mm-hmm. as a trans youth. Yeah. You were probably paying attention to the the coverage of these protests, right? I'm, I'm wondering if you saw kind of the messages that were 
coming out of them? And was there anything that stuck out to you as as particularly concerning? Most of it is stuff that I've already seen in in similar messaging coming out of the United States. Mm-hmm. One of one of the big ones that kind of got me was the idea that children belong to their parents. I'm not a parent. I'm still a child. I still live with my parents, but it was something that kind of kind of got me because I don't belong to my parents. Mm-hmm. Yes, my parents are responsible for taking care of me, but I don't I'm not their property. I know you were invited to go to a counter protest in Moncton, but you decided not to, right? Um, how come? What made you decide against that? Um, yeah. So originally I was planning on going to the counter protest in Moncton, but I decided against it simply because of safety. It is dangerous to go to counter protests and we weren't sure how violent the protest in Moncton was going to get. And when you are when you are at a protest where there is a counter protest or if you are counter protesting a protest, then you are clearly in two groups that are firmly against each other Mm -hmm. and that can cause violence really easily and I also like I wanted to keep myself physically safe but I also wanted to stay mentally safe being around that kind of messaging just isn't good for my mental health because that's messaging that something is wrong with me or that somehow I'm dangerous or somehow the teachers who support me are dangerous or my parents supporting me is dangerous And I just didn't want to be exposed to that much of that messaging. Yeah. So these protesters, they say that they're against what they call gender ideology in schools. So LGBTQ inclusive education policies that they say exclude parents and the way that issues around sexuality and gender identity are taught in schools. And you're obviously someone who's at the center of this debate and you did come out at school. So I wanted to ask you, what was that experience like for you? It definitely wasn't what people who were who were at the protests was describing. I came out to my teachers and and I came out at school before I came out to my parents. The first step for me was I talked to my GSA, my Gender and Sexuality Alliance teacher at my school, and I said, "Hey, I'm trans. What's the safest and easiest way to go about this?" And then she helped me come out to my teachers because I wasn't ready to talk to my parents yet. Mm -hmm. And that was an easy process. And then soon after, I I felt comfortable that even if my parents didn't react the way I hoped they would, I would still have support somewhere. So I gained the confidence to talk to my parents. And that went, it didn't go exactly as I'd hoped. It took them a few months to wrap their minds around the subject. But even during that period of time, where they hadn't quite wrapped their minds around things yet, I had support at school. Wow. And it really meant a lot to me. And it wasn't like nobody encouraged me not to tell my parents. I was encouraged to tell my parents. My GSA teacher at my school is incredible. And she guided me through the whole process. She taught me like safe strategies to use to start that conversation. She offered to be there as a mediator to have that conversation with my parents. 
and it was it was with her encouragement that I gained the confidence to talk to my parents in the first place. Mm-hmm. You're you're in New Brunswick, and you came out before the conservative provincial government changed school policy so that teachers can't use a child's requested pronouns without parental consent. And we heard on Wednesday, Premier Blaine Higgs tell protesters outside the legislature in Fredericton that inclusive policies were teaching students to lie to their parents. What we found is that parents didn't know. Parents did not know that in the education system, children are being taught to lie to their parents. They didn't know that, and now they know. So it's a pretty sad situation, really. But you're saying that that was that was never the case. Yeah, I was encouraged to tell my parents. And I know I, I know some students who who can't tell their parents because it it would be unsafe in their household if they were out as transgender or if they were out as any LGBTQ identity. But yeah, there was no point where I was ever encouraged to lie to my parents. I was told if you're going to get kicked out, it's best not to mention it. But once I said, yeah, that's not a risk. Mm-hmm and I'm not at risk of abuse, then it was, yeah, you got to tell your parents, Alex, eventually, once once you're comfortable. Yeah. And being being given that space to come out to a community that I knew had to be supportive because of the policy that was in place before coming out to my parents gave me a lot more confidence. I didn't feel forced or rushed throughout my coming out process because it's a, it's a difficult and it's a really personal process to come out. So this is the first school year with this new policy in New Brunswick. Uh, Saskatchewan has introduced a similar plan. Have you heard much from other trans students about how these new rules are affecting them? It's already affecting students. One of my friends had to had to ask me, is is this teacher safe to come out to before coming out to our GSA teacher? Mm. It it took me a minute to remember why they asked me that because I was like, well, of course that teacher's safe. And then I went, oh, yeah, teachers don't have to gain students' consent before talking to their parents. And for that student, they would have been at risk of physical abuse if their parents were to find out they're trans. Beyond that, I'm wondering, have you noticed a difference at school in how you're treated since this change in policy came into effect? I'm lucky enough that I don't have any teachers at my school that I'm seriously worried about disrespecting me. And because I'm 17 and I'm out and and I'm out to my parents, the policy still protects me and it still protects my rights. I have noticed that students have been like bullying towards me has increased. The slurs that are yelled in the hallway has increased tenfold. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has increased. And I think it's because that the government has said it's okay to be disrespectful to LGBTQ people. Just going back to the protest then, some of the One Million March organizers have said that these demonstrations weren't about fighting the LGBTQ community, but about, quote, the indoctrination of children in public schools and protecting children against LGBTQ ideology in the school system. And I'm wondering what you would say to that. What effect do you think these protests have on the LGBTQ community? I think that the people that organize the protests and most of the people that 
showed up at the protests aren't anti-LGBTQ as a whole. What is there is a misunderstanding of what being LGBTQ and what being trans is. And there's a misunderstanding about how it's being taught in schools. And a lot of it's a lot of the rhetoric that is coming to Canada from the states. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the misinformation that's really that's that's causing this. So the day of cross-country protests is over, but these conversations are still happening, obviously. How does what you're seeing unfold within Canadian governments and in communities make you feel about the future? I'm scared. I'm I'm scared for my rights and I'm scared for the students coming after me because I only have a year, maybe even less, left of school. And I don't know what's going to happen when I'm not here to advocate for other students at my school. And there are people who are advocating for everyone at every school across the country, but it's going to keep getting worse before it gets better. And I'm really scared because even like there's the conversation about how gender identity and sexuality is taught in school. And then there's other controversies about transgender people that are being brought into this country as shown by by the conservatives adopting uh, two points to do with transgender rights. And these are rights that when I first came out, I never thought would be under attack. Mm-hmm. And now my rights are under attack and it's really scary. Yeah. If you could speak to the protesters who turned out on Wednesday, what would you like them to understand? I'd probably remind them I'm here and I'm human and I'm not I'm not trying to do anything other than exist. Like like other, every other kid I have I want to go to college and and I have hobbies. I I write, I do photography and I have friends and I I walk to school every day like any other kid. I'm trans kids and transgender people are not a theoretical concept. We're real people. Mm-hmm. And when this kind of rhetoric is shouted out into the world like this, it's hurting real people. Okay, Alex, thank you so much for your thoughts and your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, that's all for now. This week, Front Burner was produced by Dennis Kalman, Shannon Higgins, Rafferty Baker, Joyta Shangupta, Lauren Donnelly, and Derek Vanderwijk. Our sound design was by Mackenzie Cameron and Sam McNulty. Our music is by Joseph Shabison. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. Our executive producer is Nick McKay-Blokos. And the show was hosted this week by Jamie Poisson and me, Tamara Kandaker. Thanks so much for listening. Frontburner will be back on Monday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.